Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. But in this program, what I would like to do mainly is just simply refer to a few passages in the scriptures that I would call loose ends. I'm going to tie off some loose ends in this program and talk about a few things that usually comes up whenever people talk about the subject of divorce or remarriage. The first thing that I would like to do is talk about the book of Hosea. Hosea often comes up, especially when the subject of adultery comes up. Sometimes, on occasion, it happens when two people are married, one person will engage in an inappropriate, sinful relationship that we know as adultery. And in the book of Hosea, what we have is we have the description of his marriage and that his wife decided to commit adultery. Now, the Lord spoke with him about this, and he encouraged Hosea to take her back. And through this encouragement, he metaphorically spoke about his relationship with Israel, that Israel, and this refers to the part of Israel that separated from Judah when the kingdom of Israel was divided into two parts after the death of King Solomon. You have the kingdom of Israel in the north, and then you had the kingdom of Judah in the south. And what was going on was that the people in the north recognized as Israel, they were engaging in religious practices that were contrary to the Mosaic law. They were turning after the god Baal and Ashtoret, they were turning to false gods, they were engaging in things that were definitely considered to be sin. It was considered to be a spiritual adultery against God. And the Lord spoke to Hosea about this and metaphorically described the adultery that was taking place against him personally, not Hosea, but against the living God himself from a spiritual point of view because of the covenant that he once had with them, that effectively was broken. And what people will tend to do is they will say, listen, if your wife commits adultery against you, and in other cases, your husband commits adultery against you, this is normally brought up when a wife commits adultery, that a pastoral counselor will speak to the man and say, listen, I believe that your scenario is very similar to the scenario that Hosea was confronted with. And so I'm going to go into the scriptures and I'm going to refer to this and say that because your circumstance seems to be very similar, if not identical, to what Hosea experienced, I'm going to make the assumption that because your situation is the same or close enough to the same as the situation that Hosea experienced, then I would expect that the Lord would give you the same advice or he would say the same thing to you, as he said to Hosea. But this is an assumption. This is an assumption that we are to look at the scriptures in this way, 
that we are to say that if there are similar circumstances, then there would be a similar conclusion or a similar message given by God. Now, I personally do not believe that just because this happened to Hosea, that this should also happen to anyone else who experiences this situation. I I personally just don't believe that. I believe in a relational God. I don't believe in a recipe, which is what people are usually looking for. They're looking for a recipe. They're looking for a procedure. You know, you do this, you do that, and then all of a sudden you have exactly what you want as an end result. And they look at the scriptures as if it is a cookbook, as if it describes these recipes or these procedures that a person can go through in order to experience the wonderful blessings of God. And I just do not look at the scriptures that way. To me, this is an individual situation between our God and Hosea, and that our God used this individual circumstance in order to speak to us eternally about important eternal spiritual truths concerning our relationship with him, not Hosea's relationship with his wife, so that we could say that we have the same relationship with our wives as he had with his, or husbands respectively. So people will do that, but I believe that they do that under the assumption that the Bible is some kind of instruction manual or cookbook or something like that, as opposed to making the assumption that I do, which is that the Bible is the testimony of our God so that we might know our God, not the recipes, not the procedures, not the religious sacraments, not the this or the that, but that we may know the who, the person of our God. And I believe that this is a serious error that people make. You know, I've even heard people go so far as to say that, listen, if your wife leaves you for another man and she marries him, then you have to wait until she divorces him so that you can take her back as your wife. I've heard people use Hosea in order to say this. And this, of course, is a complete violation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, Verses 1 through 4, as I explained previously, that in that kind of a circumstance, you absolutely cannot take your wife back, that the Lord would consider that to be an absolute abomination. And so the ignorance of people goes far beyond a misuse or an abuse of the scriptures. People will actually go so far as to contradict the Mosaic law directly in order to support their delusions concerning the book of Hosea, its purpose, and how we might be able to apply it in our lives. Now, having said that, listen to me. If the Lord speaks to you through the book of Hosea, and you are in a similar circumstance that Hosea was in, and the Lord speaks to you and says something like, listen, I know that your wife committed adultery. I know that your husband committed adultery whoever it may be, and he speaks to you and says, I want you to take your wife back or take your husband back and use this as your model. If he directs you in that way, then of course you should hear the voice of the Lord and you should do precisely what he encourages you to do. Now, you should not automatically assume that this is going to have a happy ending, but you can assume that he will show you something 
about this circumstance, about this situation, so that he can reveal something more to you later about who he is. And so if there is an individual circumstance where the Lord speaks to you in your situation concerning this, hear the voice of the Lord and obey your God. I will not say otherwise. But unfortunately, there are many people who assert themselves as God's representative who tell you these kinds of things and who demand that you do such things. And I believe that that's inappropriate. They should be allowing the Holy Spirit to direct you as he sees fit, not as how they see fit. So that's the first section of the scriptures that I wanted to refer to. The second section of the scriptures that I wanted to refer to is Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, and people usually refer to verses 14 through 16. I'd like to start in verse 13, though. In Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, it says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, And let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So people will refer to this mainly because of verse 16, because they really like it where it says that God hates divorce. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. And they refer to these passages saying, listen, he is not going to receive your offering. He's not going to receive your appeal. He is not going to hear you or respond to your requests because you have divorced your wife. Now, of course, it's not the divorce that's the sin that I believe he's referring to. I mean, you could say that from a certain point of view, and I won't argue that, that I also would say that it is divorce. But in this context, I'm going to say it's not. I'm going to say it is the origin of the divorce. It is the sin or the collection of sins behind the divorce. And I obviously don't know which ones to pick because these could be different for different people. I mean, he's speaking to the entire nation. You should expect some variety. Now, again, I'm not diminishing the idea that he hates divorce. I will say that's what it says. I would say that God absolutely hates it. And when we see it happen, I am confident that you can relate to this, that you would see it as a negative thing, regardless of whether there was adultery involved or whether there was physical abuse involved, regardless of what the sin was or the sins were, regardless of the pain and the suffering and the violence that was experienced in the marriage, regardless of all of that, divorce is never considered to be, for the most part, it's never considered to be a happy moment. It's never considered to be a good thing. It's always hated. And deep down inside, I believe the reason why is because people truly want the marriage to work, which is reasonable, appropriate. 
They want people to stay together. I want people to stay together. This is how I feel about it, regardless of the reasons, regardless of the excuses, regardless of whether you were 60% at fault or 30% at fault or 5% at fault. Who cares at that point? It is still a sad moment. It is a failure that in general we would like to avoid and we hate to see these things take place. We hate to see these things happen. But when the Lord says that he hates divorce, that doesn't mean that this is the ultimate statement concerning all divorce, that this is the statement of finality concerning anything that has to do with divorce. We can't say, well, God hates it, and so it is never to occur, because we know that this is not all that he has had to say about this subject. And, of course, you can listen to the previous 20 programs that I have recorded on this topic in order to understand what I mean by that, that God hates it, but it's not all that he has to say about it. So what happens when people interact with each other today and they encounter somebody who is divorced, or if you are divorced, a person is divorced, and they interact with other people? What is the tone? What is the bias in a religious context? Well, no matter what, like I said, no matter what, divorce is definitely not the preferred decision And so when it happens, there will always be an attitude that people will harbor against a person who has been divorced. Now, people try to compensate for this. Many times they try to compensate for this by saying things like, Yes, I am divorced, but my husband committed adultery, or but my wife committed adultery, or... You know, this or that, people are always looking for an excuse in order to soften the blow or in order to reduce the hatred that is often projected onto them because of the divorce that people hate, that people hate to see this kind of thing happen in people's lives. And so people try to soften this a little bit by coming up with excuses. And I've mentioned in previous programs that a person needs to assume responsibility. And so I'm going to say it again because I really believe it's really important that instead of saying, I am divorced, but here are all of the sins that my spouse committed, how about saying something like, I am divorced, I failed to keep a marriage together. I failed to do that. How about that? Do not let your pride get in the way of your confession of your ability to confess the truth that regardless of what percentage you were responsible for, it doesn't matter. There was still a failure that happened. And that if we can look past our own personal pride and say that it was a failure, you know, it provides a wonderful opportunity to say, I failed, I have learned from that, and I am becoming a mature person through this. You know, you could probably even say something like, if I only knew then what I know now, perhaps I would have been able to keep the marriage together. I mean, things like that are often more appropriate than just simply shifting blame. Assume responsibility. With that, you can rebuild 
a new life. And I have found that when people do that, that the attitude that they harbor against a person who is honest like that, who will recognize their own personal failure, they will see them without as much hatred as they would have otherwise, that there's an opportunity to reduce that. But there will always be this attitude, you know, when a divorced person shows up in a religious environment where people are doing everything possible to be as holy as possible, when a divorced person shows up, they are always going to be looked at as if they have this stain, this stain on them no matter what. But having said that, this is the third passage that I would like to spend some time with, and I'd like to talk about this for the rest of this program, and that's found in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in verse 6, it's verse 8 that I actually want to get to, but beginning in Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, it says, The Lord said also to me, In the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. Now, when people look at this, they will say that, yes, God gave a certificate of divorce to Israel because of the adultery that was committed. And there is a lot to be said about this. People do have a lot to say about this. There are many people who have spoken about this. And I would encourage you to pursue an understanding of the things that people have communicated, that people have talked about the issue of God wanting to be reconciled with Israel, him wanting to be reconciled with people, and that even in the midst of adultery, you know, something as terrible as that, that he will still forgive and he will still pursue reconciliation. These are very important concepts, but at this time I am not going to speak of everything that everybody else tends to speak of, just because you can listen to everybody else concerning that. Right now, I'm going to tell you that you should consider looking at this from a different point of view. You should recognize that when God said that he gave a certificate of divorce to Israel, that this means that God is divorced. Now, I'll give you a moment to let that sink in a little bit. That's your moment. God is divorced. Now, you could easily say, well, yeah, because his wife, Israel, in this abstract sense, committed adultery. He's got a good excuse. He's got a legitimate excuse to have a divorce. But, folks, listen to me. Regardless of the excuse, regardless of the reason, God is divorced. He's divorced. He's a divorced person. Even though he hates divorce, as he said In Malachi, he's still divorced. Did God do something that he hates? You know, there's a lot to be said about that. There's a lot that I could speak on concerning that, but I certainly don't have enough time in this program to address it perhaps in the way that maybe I should. 
I'm not going to try to do that. I'm not going to do another program on this. I want you to think about this. I want you to speak with the Lord and ask him, Lord, how does it feel being divorced? If you showed up in my church, would we see you as the person who is stained with divorce? You know, it doesn't matter at that point. Would we see you as someone who failed in a marriage? You failed. Regardless of the reasons, obviously it wasn't your fault. You married someone who wouldn't keep the law. Well, they couldn't keep the law even if they wanted to, and there were many occasions when they committed themselves to doing so, and they, of course, failed. But this is my point. My point is is that regardless of the reasons, regardless of the excuses, God is divorced. And God is remarried. Not only did he get divorced, but he got remarried. How? Through the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Those who are the believers in the Messiah. Those of us who have believed the gospel, who have received the free gift of eternal life. Those of us who have been resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the life of God, the Holy Spirit of God, are the bride of Christ. Some of the people in the nation of Israel believed and were resurrected, but obviously not all. Some of the Gentiles believed and were resurrected, but obviously not all. This is the bride of Christ, and this is a marriage that has occurred through the new covenant. There was an old, there was another wife in that sense, another bride, and now there is this one. Now, people have done a lot of studies concerning Israel and the bride of Christ and stuff like that, and I think that those are worth looking at. But let's not use those as ways to extrapolate away the fundamental reality that our God is not only divorced, but he has remarried through the new covenant. This is something that I want to mention only because I want you to see that God has not sinned, that there were provisions for divorce, There were provisions for remarriage. And, you know, there are all kinds of things that we can talk about concerning this, such as, well, what about the people of Israel who were joined together with Baal and Ashtoreth and other gods? Can he take them back and violate his law concerning divorce? And they married, and then they were divorced, and then they are remarried. You know, there are a lot of things that can be spoken of concerning that, but I am not going to say that I am the authority concerning all of the extrapolated conclusions that you can probably sit down and derive because we don't have enough information to take a physical law that he gave, a physical reality, extrapolate the symbolic references in order to see the metaphorical context to then re-extrapolate into a physical reality to then give physical consequences to the new spiritual and metaphorical contexts. I mean, you just can't go that far. I, I don't think it's appropriate to go that far. I really don't. 
I feel comfortable myself just sticking with the fact that God is not only divorced, but he's remarried in our worldly context. And that in his case, he certainly cannot claim any failure on his part because he's perfect. He can say that he had 0% fault with regards to the failure of his marriage with Israel. He can claim that because he was not the one who sinned. But regardless of that, there is still a failure. You could even say he failed by selecting people who would not meet the expectations that he placed before them. But even if you go there, you can't say it was a failure because he knew that that would be the case. In fact, he did that knowing that it would be the case and expecting it to be the case. He provided a provision for that, which is forgiveness through the new covenant so that we could experience salvation, resurrection, and he can resolve the greater issues concerning death and life. And so please do yourself a favor and try not to go too far with what I mentioned concerning that. Just look at this from the symbolic representation on the surface. Unless the Lord speaks to you about this, then of course, if he speaks to you about that, then enjoy that. But from my position, from my point of view, this is as far as I'm going to go. I'm going to go so far as to mention that just so that you understand that when people have this attitude towards divorced people, they also have to consider that that attitude applies to God as well. Even though there was no fault with him, it will still be there as a form of residue that's going to be hard for people to get through, to get past, because of this belief that people have already concerning the subject of divorce. But if you can understand and handle all that I have spoken about in the previous 20 programs, then this should not be too difficult for you to embrace. The idea that God has been divorced and that he has also been remarried and that those of us who are of the bride of Christ are the wife of God, that we are legitimate. We have not sinned by embracing the covenant that he has given. This is the end of this study on the subject of divorce and remarriage. You can hear all of the programs that I produced on this subject for free through the radio archive at livinggodministries.net. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,